like, uh, don't pretend that I know everything. If I lead with curiosity and vulnerability, right. ask questions, show that I genuinely want to learn about mm. what does a designer do on a day-to-day basis, it will open a lot of doors for me. Mm. So <clears throat> that moment taught me so much about how I then approached uh, building you know, uh, myself up as a design recruiter and then just building the community in general. Right. Uh, how is everyone doing? Uh, I'm your host, Sharath, and you've tuned to the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. I, today, I'm excited to talk to uh, the CEO of Coho. Uh, Coho is a highly curated membership network, community for leaders in growth, tech, and chief of staff. It's, it's, it's a big community, which I love, I, I personally love. Uh, and the CEO of Coho is Mundagas. Welcome to the show. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for, for having me. And I love how we made this happen within within the community. And now we're here. This, this is right. Awesome. And that that's a fun story you want to narrate like, before we dive in. like I'm part of the co-host community. And I just took a shot of asking the community, like any, anybody is interested in hopping on the podcast. And the man himself, the CEO, <laughs> he hopped on. And like uh, that's the serendipity of you know, having a group of like-minded folks coming together, right? So uh, I love that. Before we dive into the episode, I, I want to just give a brief introduction uh, about Mindagas. He 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 previously led, a, he did many things, first of all. So if you go to his LinkedIn, he he's like, has a history of doing multiple things uh, in a great way. But uh, on a highlight, he led design fellowship at OnDeck, and he was also uh, the head of co- design community at Envision. And he's a design genius, uh, I guess. So let's let's dive into his mind and unpack how things about community and how he landed where he is right now. Uh, so yeah, Mindagas, excited man. And right off the bat, I want to like cover or start uh, your early days, like. When did you get into tech? What was like your first impressions? Uh, mm. How did you, you know, uh, find design as a as an element in yourself? Like, what was the background? Yeah, I mean, so I only got like really te- technically into tech. I would say 2017 only um, when I joined Envision. Right, that was like a, a tech company that I joined. I wouldn't call that we were a startup at the time. We were like 400 and something people when I joined. But uh, previously to that, I mean, I lived a completely different life. I was very removed from all things tech. I worked in the hospitality industry for many years, but even kind of going back to say when I was in school, uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just did not enjoy the constraints of school, I remember. Um, and I went to university for like a year. I was kind of, my grandparents pushed me to, to do um, business. I think it was like business administration or something. <laughs> and I did yeah, a year. We, and we all, we all, we all been there. Like we all been pushed by our parents or grandparents right? to do some things which we don't even care right now. Right. So <laughs> it's yeah, funny. Yeah. I just remember being like, no, this is, no, this is not for me, uh, <laughs> for many different reasons. And, and I, uh, I actually ended up, uh, escaping 
that environment and I moved to, uh, so I'm from a small country in Eastern Europe, Lithuania, like I was, you know, I'm, I'm 40 now. So I was born in very, in Soviet Union at the time, actually. So mm. um, opportunities were limited and, and I'd known that I wanted to live abroad ever since I was like 12. Right. I remember my grandfather yeah. took me on like a, a trip abroad. I think it was the UK, right? When I was 12 years old or something. And, mm. and I just captivated me immediately. And mm. I knew from that age that I, for some reason, I, even at 12, I decided I, I don't, I want to live abroad That's when I can, right? So mm. that was just always in the back of my mind. And I ended up when I was 19 or 20, uh, moving to Ireland, uh, to a city called Galway. And just started from scratch. I basically got a job in, in like a fast food. It was like the Irish version of McDonald's, let's say, and nice. just worked there and just kind of bounced around that for quite a while. Then I ended up moving to the Canary Islands on a small island off the coast of North Africa. Mm-hmm. And I spent about eight years there just working in hospitality, started working in bars, nightclubs, then discovered restaurants, fell in love with that industry. And just um, the, I think the, the immediate boost that you get when you deliver a great service uh, to somebody, I just, something that spoke to me. And so my dream was to open my own restaurant. I dabbled with that a little bit. Uh, uh, I kind of had a kitchen for a few months that I started with like basically no money and that wasn't gonna, never going to be sustainable, but it was a great little test right. in, in seeing whether, you know, what was in my head actually does it translate to mm. people becoming customers and enjoying, you know, what I have to offer. And, and so right. that even though, it lasted only three months and I knew it wouldn't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't make it into a thing because I just started with, with zero resources. Mm-hmm. It kind of gave me the confidence that like, Hey, I'm not crazy. Right. What's right. in my head. I was able to translate to something that, that actually worked technically. Right. So, um, so yeah, that, that, that was my dream. And I ended up moving to, uh, Dublin, I think in 2012, because what I'd realized that, I will likely never have enough money to open a restaurant while working in one. That was my way of line of thinking. And so I was like, okay, let me go somewhere where there are maybe uh, more opportunities uh, and I'll start a company. I had no idea what that company was, (laughs) but in my head at the time was like, starting a company will get me the money to somehow then open a restaurant, right? That was the the way of thinking. And so I moved there in 2012, uh, worked a little bit back in, in, in a hotel in hospitality until I went into, uh, sales, what I had previously done a little bit and, and recruitment. Uh, and so that's where I discovered design was Mm. when I was working as a recruiter. Um, I was kind of hiring, uh, engineers, business analysts, but never really, uh, was able to connect with those folks, like I'm, I'm very, I'm te- I tend to be quite curious and I want to start understanding like, what do you do on your day to day? But an engineer couldn't necessarily show me, you know, what they right. do. And right. I happened to uh, be asked to rec- help recruit a couple of uh, design positions. And I just, hmm. like, I always say it the same way. It, it's one of those moments that's etched into my brain. I opened somebody's portfolio mm-hmm. and 
it just straight away something just happened where I was like, you know, I was I was amazed that there was people and I didn't know this working behind the scenes of products that we know and love, kind of making all these decisions on how we interact, how the products look, how they feel, and I was just mm. captivated from that moment. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, ended up becoming a, a design recruiter, um, starting kind of my own small little firm uh, because uh, I just just kind of wanted the, the company I worked for wasn't really seeing the design as being a viable uh, business line, let's say, like engineers mm -hmm. were their bread and butter. Right. Um, but I would say that uh, when I think back, even when I was in my early 20s, I'm quite introverted, but somehow I always end up knowing a lot of people and connecting the dots. And I remember years ago, like 20 years ago, I would, you know, be in a group of people and somebody will mention like, hey, I have this problem. Mm. I'll go, Ooh, I know somebody that can help you. Let me make an introduction. And even back then, I used to think, imagine if that was a job one day. Right. Like, is that is that right. could that be a job right and that was like 20 years to say now wow. actually running a, a company that we build community right that's what we do right. connect people at the time seemed like completely unimaginable yeah. um so it's kind of cool to like reflect and say well you know what like 20 years it took 20 years to kind of make it a, a reality yeah absolutely that's first of all I'm very fascinated by the fact that there are like so many twists and turns in your story, right? You're not like a, it's not a linear. Uh, oh, script. yeah. This is, this is just a, a snippet. There's, a, <laughs> there's many more. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to dive in, but you, you couple, couple of things I want to, uh, you know, I want to dive deeper into, uh, your, your, your mindset is one of the things you mentioned in, the, in your answer. You said you were you came from Soviet Union at that time, right? Mm. Like, and and I I think I can only imagine because you know I was not there. Uh, I can only like envision or like kind of uh, paint a picture how that can be. And most of the most of the people who are back then, like take Gary Vee, he was part of Soviet Union when before he moved to the U.S. Right? He's one of the classic examples, and he always mentions the struggle uh, and the lack of hope, you know, in that time. Mm. And you also said that there were no opportunities, uh, you know, in the place you, you lived. What, what is, what was your mindset back then? Like your parents or, you know, because reflecting back after 20 years or 30 years, you were in a completely different, you know, uh, area or like different country and different everything, right? Like the life's got so much better. So, did you ever thought this will happen back then? Like the, it's like how Steve says, connecting the dot backwards or what was like your the thought process? Yeah. So I actually, um, I actually was very lucky because um, my, and, and there, there's some, like, this is a crazy story that, so my, my grandfather is, you know, like 80 something now. Um, and, um, I know he's lived, uh, like, so they say my grandparents grew up in, you know, experienced the, the war um, in, in mm -hmm. the 40s. Um, 
and they grew up under a very different Soviet Union that I was born into, right? I was born in 82, we became independent in 91. And right. so, and also we, uh, as, a, as a nation, kind of really rebelled against, so we didn't accept any of the, the, the things that were being pushed on, right. on us. Um, but my grandfather recently, uh, a couple of years back, he, he came to visit me um, and he started telling me all these stories about his mm. life, what it was like living in, though, in the 50s and 60s mm. in the Soviet Union. And so everything was highly controlled uh, by KGB. Right. And so him and my grandmother lived in the capital. They both uh, graduated. They were incredibly smart. He was some like engineer. She was an architect. Um, and so they were building in those circumstances, uh, a pretty good life for themselves. What was kind of allowed right amongst, uh, mm -hmm. that system at the time. But one day, um, he came into work and he was told, uh, by his boss, like, Hey, um, KGB are waiting for you in the, in the meeting room. And what happened there is why I'm saying that it translated to me being one of the more lucky ones because what they told him was you need to pack up your life. You're going to forget everything you know here, and you're going to move to this small little town of 20,000 people. And you're going to be in charge of this artificial leather factory. And so he became the director of this factory, which comes with a much different, uh, now that wasn't a choice, right? You're being told that yeah. this is what you're going to do. And I wouldn't want to even contemplate what the other option is. Um, and, but what that meant is he was in a, in a very kind of high mm. position, comes with a different pay packet, right? Um, but what that factory was, was actually uh, on, on normal days, they were building, making artificial leather that they were distributing all over the world. But it was also one of those factories that if uh, the war comes or Soviet Union becomes under attack, they switch it to produce uh, military uh, equipment. So oh. he, yeah, so he was like, had to, there was the safe they was telling him about, they only, he had, had access to, that had all the instructions, like if they get the call from Moscow, basically saying we're under attack, you need to switch production to, uh, you know, whatever military stuff. He oh. goes in and instructs everybody how to do that. So tying it back to kind of what I was saying, like I grew up much more, uh, well off than, mm. than most people. Right. Uh, so I had a lot of opportunities technically for me, uh, even at that time, but I don't know why I just kind of rebelled against, uh, <laughs> things. And I just decided to, to move, uh, to, to Ireland, to some city and just work in, in like McDonald's basically. Mm. Right? But, there was some other kind of family stuff that, that made me do it, but, but I've known that, you know, I wanted to go do my own thing. Uh, right. and, um, so yeah, my, my kind of, uh, in those early days, I only remember the, the, the better things, you know, and, and, um, yeah. That's amazing. I, I, I just got goosebumps when you explained like it was, it was, he was told there's no option, right? That's insane. That's like, damn, you know, uh, we live in a very different world. We have, we have more empowerment. We have, we have, we have choices to make and still yeah. people screw up. That's a different thing, but this world is completely different than, you know, the world you just 
described that was shouted to him he's he survived and he kind of like you know passed on his his wisdom to you so uh i can only like you know uh imagine like the 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 struggles they went through man that's a that's a very deep story right there thanks for sharing uh of course so you you started your own design agency that's what you said after after like design recruitment design recruitment agency yeah recruitment recruitment agency and you have no prior prior experience as a designer right like Nothing. Uh, that's zero zero so i love those underdog stories because that there is so much intentionality behind them right you are not uh what do you how do you put this like you are not well equipped in terms of theory or knowledge but it's all like battle tested you you just like get into the field you know make your hands dirty type of a thing and then learn and then implement then grow that's a that's that's what i want to cover like what was like uh during that time because do you have do you had ever encountered like self doubt the meaning i'm into like hospitality i did xyz things before design is design should come naturally intuitively which is more of like a uh, like a skill right mm-hmm. uh, so what was your in your mind what was like the battle like am i am i able to fit or i just yeah. try what was like that what was your thought process yeah great question um so i i i luckily i had a kind of like a a, a slap in the face situation <laughs> very early in my design recruitment uh career let's say which was right. i um a colleague of mine so i worked at this uh, agency first mm-hmm. um a colleague of mine had the design desk and she was leaving um and i was going to i wanted to take it over right um and so she was kind of handing off all her clients to me and then one day she was like hey i have this list of basically folks in the design community that you should absolutely build relationships with because they'll right. help you open doors you know they're great designers blah 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 and so if you picture this kind of situation and you couldn't make this up i mean <laughs> she said okay we're going to go into this meeting and i'm going to walk you through all of these folks and give you some context and just before that i tweeted out a really terrible ad basically for like saying hiring rockstar designers and it was like a really bad visual blah blah, blah. and so <laughs> tweeted that out went into a meeting with her she's going through the list she mentions a bunch of people and then she mentions this guy called owen um and i go back i check my phone and who picked up my tweet and absolutely tore it to shreds is this guy called owen that she just told me um i should build a relationship with and that he's super connected in the design community and oh. so immediately i was like he was like when will these recruiters ever get it like this is not how you try and attract you know design candidates and i was just like my heart just sank because honestly i felt like well i'm done like i haven't mm. even started yet right if this right. guy is so connected and he just called me out publicly mm. and what i did in that moment is i think what kind of defined and everything that i done i've done so far which is 
I found his number in the database mm -hmm. and I called him mm. and he picked up the phone. There was like a long pause and because I introduced myself and he just started out laughing. He was like, dude, I can't believe you called me. And I'm like, well, what, what was I supposed to do? I want to. Right. So you called me out, right? For doing something that doesn't appeal to that audience. <clears throat> How do I do it the right way? Mm. And so we ended up having a great chat and he kind of gave me some pointers. And what that right. showed me was that if I uh, don't pretend that I know everything, if I mm. lead with curiosity and vulnerability right. and ask questions, show that I genuinely want to learn about mm. what does the designer do on a day-to-day -day basis, it will open a lot of doors for me. And mm. so... <clears throat> That moment taught me so much about how I then approached uh, building, you know, uh, myself up as a design recruiter and then just building the community in general. Right. Um, and then I used that, you know, in, in various different ways where I went to like a UX sketch club and I, and nobody knew that I was a recruiter. Everybody assumed that I was a designer and I sketched right. with them, I presented. And only then afterwards, people were like, oh, so, you know, which company do you work for, assuming as a designer? And I was like, no, right. I'm, a, I'm a recruiter. And people were genuinely, you know, taken aback because they were like, wait, what? You, you sat here, you sketched with us, you're really trying to learn about what we do. And that just buys you a ton of uh, mm. goodwill uh, within the community and builds those relationships. Well, there, there are so many uh, amazing things you just mentioned. One is, uh, so you're not you don't have the fear of failure in a way, right? Like you've publicly no. failed, which is, which is, I feel like most, most people, they get, they just stop by that, right? Then they can't overpass it. And damn, like you just called the guy who called you out. <laughs> that, yeah. that took, that, that should have like, you know, that took guts to like do that. So kudos. And, uh, when you called and, you, of course, it, it would be like an awkward conversation, right? Like it was not like a straightforward thing. How relieved you were that you made that call? Like what was like the... In incredibly, because honestly, I think if I didn't make this call, I don't know if, we would if you and I would be talking right now mm. because it just, that one moment, it, it honestly just opened up so many different doors and, and opportunities because the other option, like in, in my, I remember that, that moment very clearly because I remember thinking, damn, uh, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that fear and anxiety would have really negatively impacted if I hadn't called him, how I approached, I would have just become a basic recruiter who was just getting by, I'll probably have would have just said, you know what, maybe design isn't for me. I'll mm. just continue doing software engineering, whatever else I was doing, right. you know, just random roles. I think it would have it really impacted, shifted my thinking in, mm. a, in a negative way. And then that would mean I would have taken a very different path. Right. The, the fear of you giving up yeah. is much more larger than the fear of you facing him right <laughs> yeah that's yeah so essentially i think it, it it actually worked out i feel like uh that's how i think people should look up to like it's like you know it's like you have to like have the 
the greatest fear and all the other things will be like you know minute and uh wow appreciate that you know and i think you you've also uh started learning about design which is developing skin in the game because that's really important right like if without skin in the game you're just talking surface you're just talking on layers you yes. can go deeper you can dive into their minds and empathize with them that's that's why uh and how hard was for you to like uh go through the whole process of learning and you designing yourself and like you know what was it like i mean from from again that that point i just started feeling uh, i had like a very different approach to everything that i did it just gave me this agency and told me that like hey if i'm just open honest curious mm. most people are going to be replicate that back to me right um and so yeah th- then it, it was just i started uh, kind of building a community around me because what what that enabled me to do is that at the time and i mean that still happens right recruitment industry there's some good there's some bad but i remember at the time hearing a lot that especially designers calling out recruiters and saying like you know they just they're just reaching out to us with like surface level they don't opportunities they don't really match the my profile to the role they just mm-hmm. like it's just like this blast what i was able to do because i started learning the different nuances of of designers and what they do i could curate the opportunities much better so mm-hmm. when i reached out to folks it was much more curated and relevant for them so guess what i started getting responses and then building up a name that like hey if you're looking for something new you, you go to that because mm-hmm. he's gonna he right. he, he knows what he's talking about right and right. he's able to match you better to to companies like one of one of my proudest things is by doing that i still have folks i have i've been out of the recruitment game what since 2000 and 17 Oh that's uh, uh I still have folks who are working in the companies I placed them in Nice And in this environment where people are moving every 18 months 24 months Right people are there 5 6 years Wow And and I'm I'm super proud of that one because mm. it took you know a lot of work um, right. in order to get there but the the understanding and and uh, challenging yourself to challenge the clients and the candidates to ensure right. that there's a better match um is so again you know just being able to uh be being able to be uh, allowed into mm-hmm. the designer's brain and mm-hmm. and how they think and being able to pick up certain nuances then just improved mm-hmm. how i approached my my job very cool man like that's a it's a great you know great lessons right there let's let's talk about uh invision so you did the whole thing you learned how to design you started your you know recruitment agency uh you learned from the guy who called you after. uh how how did invision happen because invision i i guess uh it's such a big brand right like it's it's not yeah. like uh, you know easy to get in uh, especially given so i i am a no code maker i've built products for myself i have like no prior experience of any anything i do right now so we we both i think come from the same 
line of cloth, which is we tend to do things that we are not trained for uh, mm-hmm. and we expertise a few things. So how did you get in uh, into Envision? What, what, what is something that, uh, that happened right there? If you want to narrate that story. Yeah, <clears throat> that was actually um, pretty cool because um, I, so when I had my uh, design recruitment agency, I, when I set it up, um, just when I had like an email address, right? I just started the business. Mm. I immediately got intros to amazing candidates and amazing potential clients from the community. Mm. They wanted to support mm. me going out and doing this on my own. Right? right. And so after the first year, I heard um, that Envision was releasing this uh, documentary about design. Mm. And they were doing all these premieres around the world. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, you know what would be super cool? I'd, I'd love to, like, say thanks to the, the Dublin design community in mm. some way. And in my head, it was just like, oh, this is a crazy idea. Wouldn't it be cool to uh, rent out a small cinema? Even though I had no money. Like, I was making no money at, the time, <laughs> at all. But this, just my brain uh, sometimes comes up with, with the most random things. Right. And I was like, yeah, wouldn't it be so cool to rent out a small cinema? And I remember... I quickly did a search and I actually mm. found there was a, a really cool venue that you could rent for, honestly, it was like 600 bucks or something. Mm. Uh, and it was an amazing venue. And so then I was like, wait, it's potentially possible. <laughs> so then I reached out to a couple of folks uh, in the design community and I said, hey, do, do anybody know anyone at Envision? Mm. And I ended up getting an introduction to um, Claire, who was at the time their VP of marketing, I think. Hmm. And I just said to her, hey, I'd love to like do the Irish premiere um, of this uh, film. And she was like, sure, if you um, I think if you get like a certain amount of people attending, hmm. we'll hook you up. We'll send you the movie. We'll even send you like maybe a couple of our team to do like a panel afterwards. Hmm. And I was like, let's go. Let's do this. So I ended up organizing this whole event. I think there was 150 people that attended. Um, it was, uh, like a one year in, it was a beautiful venue. I had to get up on stage and conquer my fear of public speaking and kind of (laughs) say, 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 thanks. I I think I had like four gin and tonics before going on stage, um, to calm the nerves. Um, I used to have this crippling fear of public speaking for most of my life. So that was like a really tough tough moment. I had, I was, I was the, I was the, the guy doing this. So I, I couldn't hand it off to anybody, um, <laughs> but it was, it was really cool. Right. And so uh, through that process, I ended up meeting a bunch of different people at Envision. Mm. Um, and one thing that I kept thinking about, I was like, wow, everybody's so nice at this company because even to the most serious uh, senior people, they would, say, do the thing that we were talking about. And then their follow-up would be like, how else can I help you? Mm-hmm. And everybody was the same. And that like really stuck out to me. So when I hosted the, the premiere, I then sent a cold DM to Clark, the CEO on LinkedIn. And I said, hey, Clark, I uh, hosted this thing. Um, you know, your team is amazing. Thanks for, for allowing me to do this would love to do something again in, in the future. And maybe like two months later, I get a reply back and he's like, so sorry for the late, late reply. I heard about your event. 
It was so awesome. Heard it was like really cool. If you want to do anything else, let me know. Mm. And so I was like, okay. And so at the time, right, I'm building my own business. Um, then a few months later, I was exploring like a product idea because I was an agency, a, a, like a service business at, at the time. But I, I started exploring a product idea and I was like, you know, and I was sending it. I'll, I'll always send it to a bunch of people that I know or I don't know for some feedback. And I just emailed Clark, uh, the CEO of Envision. I was like, hey, I'm building this thing. Um, would love to, you know, see if this is relevant. And got a reply, I think, within two minutes, mm. uh, introducing me to Stephen, who was the, I think he was the VP of design at the time. Um, and he was like, this, this, is, this looks really cool. You and Stephen should chat. Mm. And so me and Stephen chatted. We kind of built up a, a relationship. Um, and then a few months later, I realized that, you know what, like my time was up because I was not making this into a viable business and I, I should really like shut this down and go back to work. And so by that time, I then kind of thought about what do I want to do? Mm. Right? And I really wanted to continue building design communities because I built up this network already. Mm -hmm. Like I'd spent what, three years at, the t at that time mm. and, and I really enjoyed it. And so I just emailed Clark and Steven, uh, and I just very, uh, transparently. And I said, Hey, like I, I made a go of this business. It's, it's not happening. Um, I'm going back out, you know, to, to work full time. Um, I'd love to do continue building design communities. Hmm. What do you think? Hmm. Again, very quickly get a reply back saying, Hey, we're actually building a team in Europe. Hmm. You should chat to this guy called Ryan who was at the time um, VP of uh, EMEA. He was building out their like sales team. Chatted with Ryan and they were like, you know what, we, we don't have a community role, but we think you could do uh, customer success mm. and we're hiring for that role. And honestly, I had to Google what customer <laughs> success was when, when they, when they were telling me, right. uh, and, and I saw like well, requirements, usually customer success people need to know how to use all these tools like Salesforce. And I was like, I don't know. I never yeah. used this, but right. connecting all of my, um, experience previously sales and customer service and all mm. of this, what that reading the job description, I was like, I'm pretty sure I can do this. Right. And so then I threw my hat in the ring and I went into like the, the proper interview process. Mm. Um, and I ended up getting the job and, um, but my goal was that I will use that as a foot in the door, in the door mm. because that's not building communities, right? But right. I'm now entering a company that has those opportunities. And so my goal was to uh, start with customer success and then try and find opportunities within Envision uh, very quickly to move into different roles. And that's what I did. Right. I love that so much because I think uh, even I can relate to that you don't usually get what you want right away. Uh, but if you have patience enough to play the long game and you're okay to like do a bunch of things in between, you'll definitely get like, you know, reach where you are, want to reach. I think that's so, that's an underrated lesson right there. I feel a lot many people should, you know, implement. Uh, love that. What are some, if you, if you, if I ask you like, five things uh, that you did at Envision that, that makes you proud? What are those things? Oh, 
Um, I think one is uh, just continuing with my plan and and being but uh, being very open and transparent about what I wanted to do from the interview process, right? So at some point, uh, I was introduced to the person who would be my manager if I got the job, right? And I told him, and we're still friends to the day to this day. Neither of us is is at a mission. Uh, but I told him, I was like, Hey, like, I, I know I can do this job. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be amazing at it, mm. but here's what I really want to do. And I would love to be exploring opportunities as quickly as possible. And he was like, look, as long as you hit your targets, mm. um, I'll help you because I can see, he was like, I can see mm. what you're made for and what right. you should be doing and, and like the passion that you have. So he's like, I'll help you do it. Um, and so that was, I think, number one, just being, it was scary because I could have wasted the opportunity and I really needed it at mm. the time because I was broke as hell. Um, and, uh, and this was, you know, my foot in the door with an amazing company. And so being mm. open and honest in that kind of a way could have, they could have said, you know what, this guy's going to be in the job three mm. months and then he's going to be out and we're building the team. So I think that was number one, because then that allowed gave me the agency and the freedom obviously while still making sure i'm doing my job to find my uh my corner um and so i think then the second thing was as soon as i i got in uh, i understood my environment i got comfortable with the role that i was doing i made sure that i was you know hitting those targets i was doing a good job uh, and then i set about mm. building relationships within the company because I knew that most likely there won't just be a posting, a job posting that comes up. I'll have to kind of force them to create the job for mm. me, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, and so that's what I ended up doing was just finding, like just digging and digging for it and digging for it uh, for about a year and a half, I think. Mm. Um, and then they hired um, Anna, who became my manager, who was kind of uh, heading up the uh, EMEA marketing. Mm. And through, because everybody in the company or the relevant people already knew that like, hey, this is what this guy wants to do. They created a role for me to work under her mm. to essentially take on building out the leadership community in Europe. Nice. And so... That was uh, another thing I'm definitely proud of because had I just sat and waited, right. that would have never happened. Right. Um, and then just building out the um, the kind of leadership community uh, in Europe, which I did through uh, creating these series of highly curated dinners. So we would essentially pick a city, look at the design community there, and essentially uh, curate, organize a dinner, nice. uh, bring some of our, our team alongside these leaders that we wanted to invite and have this like facilitated um, dinner where people make new new connections and also hopefully you know learn something. Uh, and and we're kind of uh, providing a different layer of value to our customers or potential customers. Nice. And so through that, just also expanded my own network uh, too, because guess what? I was the one organizing right. and facilitating. <laughs> um, how many? So that's an how many gin and tonics you had? <laughs> 
Man, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't because, you know, I was... Uh, I, but, of course, there's always some good wine uh, with, with the dinner, for sure. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I... Small group no, small group facilitations and th that kind of stuff, I, I love. Right. Uh, right? That's, that's my job. Right. Just talking in front of, like, large crowds <laughs> and just crippling anxiety. I'm much better now, but honestly, for about 20 years of my life, huh. I would nearly, like, just go blank. And I remember doing like, a, I was invited years ago in Dublin to, to some startup event and they were like, uh, you can talk for 10 minutes. Mm. I was so crippled with anxiety. Mm. I do not remember what I said. <laughs> All I remember is it was my turn and I was just surrounded by a lot of people. And mm. I just remember that being the last image. <laughs> And then I just kind of woke up and they were like, yeah, you're done now. <laughs> I have no idea what I talked about. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you're so authentic. You know, I love, I love people like you because uh, you, you just don't, you know, shadow yourself. Like in, you don't hide yourself. It's, no more. It's, no right? more. This is why I love the four. This is why I love forties. I'm like, there's just, just true, <laughs> true clarity and, uh, <laughs> Everything that you've done over the last, you know, over the course of your life, all of a sudden makes so much sense. You don't, right. you don't have to worry about anything anymore. Um, so yeah, I like that. Forty is great. I like that. Uh, so is, is that when you're hosting these dinners? Is is that how you came across on deck? What was like the whole transition from uh, Envision to on deck? Great question. So what uh, I think above anything else working so building the you know uh, design communities of that network uh in dublin then working for envision what i found myself uh getting out of it is i had the unique privilege of talking to designers of all levels from any company you can imagine from every corner of the world mm. and what i'm good at is picking out just naturally themes and trends from talking to a lot of people. I start picking up patterns of mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, this group of people are saying all a very similar thing. And so what I picked up was that um, there's a lot of resources like, okay, entering the design industry as a, uh, a, an early designer is, is hard, right? Mm -hmm. There's not many opportunities, but there are a lot of resources. There's YouTube videos, there's boot camps, there's courses of all kinds of price levels. You're just surrounded by a lot of resources. The opportunities is a different conversation and, and problem. What I found, and then your role as like a junior to let's say mid-ish, just after a level designer is pretty straightforward, right? You're focused on your craft uh, and that's pretty much it. What I found very peculiar was that when you get to senior lead uh, manager level, hmm. often their job becomes all of a sudden more complex. They don't teach you those complexities in school, in mm. design school, if mm -hmm. you're lucky to go to one, um, the career paths become a lot more ambiguous mm -hmm. and the resources just start drying up. Mm. 
And so what I found is this group of folks that were basically saying, I'm lost. Mm. <laughs> and that I found really uh, interesting. And so I remember way before I discovered on deck, maybe like a year before, mm. I had this idea in my head. I was like, you know what would be amazing? Um, taking a group of these folks, essentially, I, I, in my head, I, I had the on-deck model mm -hmm. before I knew what on-deck was. <laughs> uh, except for like eight weeks, for me, it was like, uh, I think over four or five days. And I was like, imagine if you could take mm. a group of these folks and curate an experience for them over like a few days where we just dive into all of these different topics with, we'll bring, you know, some amazing folks, you curate a, a group of peers, they'll share knowledge with each other. And so I tried to like run the numbers on how, how much something like that would cost to, and then I quickly dropped it because I was like, I don't have the money to do this. <laughs> but, um, so that idea was very well formed in my head. Right. And so, as I started to explore new opportunities, I remember uh, seeing on deck just start popping up in my uh, Twitter feed. Right. And I, I clicked on their website and immediately, of course, got right. the concept. Right, yeah. Because it was already like I had created it in my head. Right. And I was like, whoa, mm. this is someone perfect. Someone and, hacked your mind. <laughs> right. And so I just uh, I, I looked if they were hiring. Um, they had um, a generic uh, program director application sure. at the time. They weren't like yet hiring uh, for specific fellowships. And I remember applying mm. and I wrote in the application saying, um, if you uh, are not thinking about building a design fellowship, you should, and I'm the person to build it. Mm. And me being me, uh, I never just, just apply for jobs. I then quickly looked at who works there. Mm. And, uh, I found, um, Erica, um, and just DM'd her, uh, on LinkedIn cold. And I was like, Hey, uh, super curious about what you guys are building. You know, if you'd be open to maybe uh, sharing more, I'd, I'd love to chat. And she was like, yes, let's jump on a call. Mm. At the time she didn't know I had applied for a role. Mm. We were potentially exploring, like, uh, doing some type of a co event with the Envision community that I was running at the time. Right. Um, but you, were, but you were still at Envision I, or you're... Yeah, I was still, yeah, I was still at Envision. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I was running a, a help and run the design leadership forum community. And we were thinking about maybe doing like a, a co-event. Hmm. Uh, and then after a while, I was just like, hey, by the way, I applied um, to the program director role. And she was like, oh my God, you actually would be perfect for the, to build a design fellowship mm. and introduced me to, uh, Eric. Mm -hmm. And then Eric and I got on a call, I think it was supposed to be 30 minutes and we hit like the 20 minute mark and he goes, Hey, do you have an extra 30 minutes? And I was like, Ooh, this is good. <laughs> so, um, right. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I ended up joining, joining on deck. Awesome. Yeah. You know, on deck's great. Uh, they did like so much of awesome stuff uh, in terms of community and bringing people together. Uh, what was like your experience leading the whole fellowship? How how do you describe? And uh, what are the what are some tips if you want to give away for people who are like designing their own courses or fellowships or cohort based, uh, you know, business? Yeah. 
So, man, it was, um, you know, I'd never built anything like that before. Um, I had the, the idea, obviously, a similar kind of model mm. of it. So what I, I remember being uh, good was the fact that I walked into on deck already knowing and having a bunch of the components needed mm. to build this fellowship. Nice. Yeah. Right. I'd been collecting the insights from the community that I was about to build something for, for years. Right. Right. And that kind of gave me the confidence that, you know what, this is needed Two, had the network to kind of build out the initial speakers and bring in the initial kind of uh, group of the, like the founding fellows or, that we used to call them. Um, but I do remember uh, an insane amount of imposter, imposter uh, syndrome mm. just being very overwhelming. Mm. Like as soon as I accepted the job and, and joined, I just remember going, what have you done? <laughs> Now you have to, because, you know, now it becomes a, it, when you build communities, you're more like, I prefer to be more behind the scenes, mm -hmm. right? I'm just like the connector, connect the dots, help the people find each other or whatever, right. uh, help build, cultivate those relationships. Now it's like, you're the face of mm -hmm. this thing that you're building for these amazing designers and you're going to tell them, you're going to give them a great thing mm. they're going to pay for Risky and promising a, and you're, you're right you're kind of like letting them know that really setting the expectation and whatnot yeah I, I can sense that yeah yeah and so i remember that being like a, a really overwhelming and so what i did was even though i had been collecting these insights right there were still a lot of them were assumptions because they weren't documented it's not like i had this data 10 out of 10 designers said they need this thing. Mm. So I quickly uh, launched uh, a survey mm. based on my assumptions to just start validating, went back out into the community to talk to a ton of people saying like, hey, and also I, I always, when I test ideas, I do it in three different stages. Mm. Um, one is I'll immediately just go to like my closer network, but the people that I know that will be skeptical or critical enough, they're not just going to say, Oh, you're, whatever you're doing is great because they're my friends. Yeah. Right. Being nice. But I know there's like, right. I have, I have a group of like close friends or, or, uh, close people in my network that they're snarky and sarcastic and they will tell me that it's crap, right. even though they like me and, and I appreciate that. Yeah. That's the group I go to. They're honest. Yeah. Right. They're honest. So I, I'll always go to them and get like a quick gut check. Okay. They're saying they're not finding any any major red flags, maybe contributing some uh, some uh, other ideas or something that I haven't thought about. Then I'll go to another group who I loosely know. So, for example, maybe we follow each other on Twitter. Mm. Maybe that's it, right? Uh, and so um, uh, I'll go to them and just kind of continue validating and collecting insights. Uh, and then the, the third thing was um, I, when I was feeling confident in the, what I was about to launch, I then went to, um, she wrote a book on uh, design management. Um, she was the VP of design at, uh, at, at, at Facebook. 
mm. uh, a few years back, right? And so I don't know her. It's completely cold outreach. Mm. But that was my way of trying to make sure. And she may have not replied, but she did. So I just sent her a DM and I was like, hey, I'm building this thing. Would just love to understand mm. if this is based on your experience, if this is something that's needed. Right. Got a reply super quick saying, this is great. And let me uh, introduce you to a couple of people who should join the fellowship. Mm. And so going cold to people that I don't know and kind of, Right. Trying to get some feedback is like my final, it's like the final boss. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that kind of then took away a lot of the, the anxiety or the worry about what I was about to launch. Right. Um, because there's always that worry, like you're going to launch yeah. something. And what if nobody comes? Yeah. Right. What if nobody cares? Right. Uh, and so of course I still had that on launch day, but, <laughs> um, I was a lot more confident in the response that we would receive. And so just breaking it down in those kind of stages and continuing to validate uh, for me was the, was the way to approach this mm. um, instead of just coming in with assumptions and just getting lost in the work right. in building this out. So like just continuously validating was, was the, the way for me to, to know that, Hey, I'm pretty sure this is going to be okay. Yeah, I like the way you you actually kind of broke down uh, into pieces. You're not like taking like a big giant step and with assumptions, like you said, right? Uh, I feel like hope people who listen for building courses, you know, they get they get some inspiration from the whole process you mentioned. Let's let's uh, switch gears. Let's talk about Coho. Uh, mm. What is it about? You know, what was what was like the story behind it? Um, and what's the journey so has been so far? How are you feeling about Coho and the things you're you're trying to do next? Sure. Um, so I mean, as we we talked about, right? We technically incubated Coho at on mm. right? We had all the pieces. We had the fellowships. We had the team. Um, we had kind of built different uh, variations of the experience, <clears throat> and so uh, you know as Rightly so, on deck shifted to the focus to just focusing back on on founders. Um, it was silly of me not to uh, continue building mm. these fellowships uh, and do it separately. Right? It's it's better for for everyone. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, for me. I had spent two years building the design fellowship. I know others in, in the team had also felt the same, right? Our work wasn't done. Yet. Mm. My initial thought when I joined on deck to build the design fellowship was uh, my like goal behind all of the goals was how do I build this to be a thing that's still around when I'm no longer part of it. Mm. It's like it's because it's otherwise sustainable, it runs by itself. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm not the face of it. Uh, because you know, at the beginning, if you remove me out of the picture, right. it's, it's over because I'm, I'm holding all the relationship. I'm doing everything. I'm the face, right. blah, blah, blah. So, um, so that's what I kind of set about. That's how I wanted to do it. And so when we hit that kind of one and a half year mark or so, um, I wanted to continue building. 
these fellowships because we had seen the flashes of brilliance, right? We had seen the impact it can have uh, on people's lives and careers. Hmm. Uh, and so I didn't want to uh, just stop doing that. So we, um, we ended up spinning out from, from on deck as a, as a separate company rebranded, uh, obviously, and, and we continued to build some, uh, some of those fellowships, um, as a separate, separate business and, uh, and team, which has been really cool. Awesome. Yeah. And any, any cool initiatives, uh, you guys are planning or what are some fellowships you want to maybe like elaborate about that Coho offers? So, I mean, we're, uh, we con we're continuing with design engineering, um, data science, chief of staff marketing, uh, sales and business development. Mm. So that's our kind of core stack, mm. which you can kind of nearly break it down to like tech and go to market. Right. Um, and so these are the ones that we're, we're going to continue focusing on. And our goal is to, um, because we rearranged how we operate, um, each fellowship previously was pretty siloed, right? right? They had their own team. Uh, so now we're one team. Uh, operating all of these fellowships, N nobody's uh, uh, no longer the face mm -hmm. of a specific fellowship. Mm -hmm. um, so for us, a lot of it is around how we operationalize ourselves as a mm -hmm. team to deliver uh, consistently a great experience. Right. And also, I think, um, just understanding how people get value out of what we do. Right. Uh, and then finding the balance of not being too uh, loose of an experience where we say everybody's welcome and we have a buffet of things, right, right. but also not being too rigid in, in uh, how we structure ourselves to then not allow us to address, I mean, how things are moving today. Right. Because if you think about mm -hmm. if we spend a year building curriculums, mm. And March 2023 happens. Yeah, all of that is irrelevant, right. right? I'm actually straight after this. I'm hosting a, a session on uh, called "Is AI Going to Take Our Job?" <laughs> and we want to do, you know, it's like it's a it's a cheeky cheeky headline, but it's important to have these conversations because right now they're happening. You know, hot lots of hot takes in, on Twitter, very little substance, um, and so allowing us to be finding that balance where we have enough evergreen topics that we're covering throughout the year for folks that we know they're going to, they're not, those topics are not going away, right? Specific skills like leadership and right. all that kind of stuff. But then allowing us to address things that happen all of a sudden uh, or move quickly is is our focus now for, for this year. It's just finding that structure and, and balance. I like, that. I like the balance uh, because you're kind of, you're being very real at the same time you're being also futuristic like okay if this happens how yeah. do we prepare ourselves right and you prepare the rest of the folks and i feel coho can be the the place for answers for for pretty much like you know that's the goal yeah i i i, I think i really like the mission and the way you guys are leading so big big fan of uh the ecosystem and appreciate yeah, that's it that's why uh and I'm happy to like do any sessions and, you know, uh, in the team yes, as well. let's do it. Yeah. So let's take the questions from that came from the community. Like we got three questions. Mm. Uh, one is from we clouder. 
that's his handle i don't know his actual real name uh, he asks what's the biggest challenge coho has faced so far and how did you overcome it um i mean i don't think we we haven't overcome it yet and what i mean by that um is that we in this uh process of becoming a separate company <clears throat> I saw an opportunity to maybe structure the business a little bit very differently mm. than uh what we maybe know. And the reason for that is that I think community mm -hmm. can absolutely be a business, mm -hmm. but uh having and I'm not saying VC money is bad, it absolutely is necessary for mm -hmm. certain types of companies or to get certain things off the mm -hmm. ground or reach a specific scale. My personal belief is that at the earlier stages, VC money is not good for a community business. Mm. Uh, hot take, I don't know, but, um, and so what we ended up doing is structuring ourselves very differently, which is the challenge, mm. which is we're not sitting on a ton of cash. And we also know that it takes like okay we were incubating this at two for two years around that but we've rebranded we've you know changed processes our marketing has to shift and so the top funnel and admissions become spiky again right if we had and on deck we spent two years nailing that right. and then it starts leveling out right. we just wiped that away mm. and so the the challenge becomes getting to break even mm -hmm. um it's so, always there yeah. i i know i think i think you're facing uh you you're facing the devil in the first step itself which is you're you're basically trying to do a litmus test is the whatever fellowship is it really people are really craving for it or not like that's the question right like if we if you had like 10 million dollars sitting in your bank you would assume that there might be a chance of this fellowship being you know as a as a long term play and you can spend those money recruiting people but i think i would i would i'm actually very curious about how you go through this journey because i'm i feel you'll know is is this fellowship is there a business for community or not it's it's going to be yeah. like really binary yes or no right uh, there is no maybe you know in between so uh, but yeah yeah definitely you know let's let's maybe circle back for for another episode of how you overcome this challenge and uh what not 100% so we have a question from ash i love ash by the way he's a good friend uh he he and i we were part of like many uh communities like one of the masterminds we were together and he's he's a, he's a heard, very yeah. good friend he asks what's it like living in one of the europe's hard hardest startup hubs uh lisbon and how has the ecosystem and the living among startup founders in that location influence you uh, your vision and like the in in terms of startups and companies mm. you know what i love about lisbon is it is um i mean i work remotely right that's my jam i love working from home but um what i love about lisbon there's a uh, i don't know about like the true local ecosystem right i'm not kind of very ingrained in that what i do find there's a lot of 
I ended up find, meeting, just bumping into like amazing people that are either living here from here or passing by or here for uh, some event. It, Lisbon has become this city where there's always incredible folks that are coming through mm. uh, and, and are in town. And so what I always make time for is taking any intro that comes my way and grabbing that coffee um, and um, just soaking up, you know, the knowledge from folks. So um, it's a, I think it's a much different kind of hub than SF or London. There's a different mm. kind of uh, style, which I love. This is why I live mm. here. Um, but, but there's always these, really cool people that are just dropping by or just moving here. Like for example, right. uh, my gym is a really cool space that's founded by this really interesting entrepreneur from New York. Mm. Uh, so I spend a lot of time, time with him. We've become friends and I learn he's nothing to do with tech, mm. but you know, our actual his, his gym is a very similar model to Coho. It's, mm. it's community and membership. Based. Correct. Right. Um, mm. And so there's a lot of similarities and we talk about those things all the time. Right. One of the members turns out is one of the co-founders of Headspace. Wow. Cool. cool. <laughs> uh, so there's like, you know, these kind of folks that are just right. here mm, nice. and you end up meeting them and, and spending time. So I love that kind of, which is not in your face, right? I'm, I'm very much, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm quite introverted. I hate <laughs> personally talking about what do you do or that playing the games of status, how much money you right, raise, right. like all that kind of yeah. stuff. I'm out. Like as soon as I get, I'm, right, out, I'm right, out. Right. <laughs> and so what I find Lisbon allows me to do is, is find the people I need to find mm. in my own mm. way and also build those more uh, authentic relationships. Nice. Uh, too. That's nice. That's that's great to hear. He also asked like a different question, which I want to cover later. But uh, we'll take a question yeah. from Haley, which is, "How do you think about leadership today, and how has that evolved over time?" Um, so that's a big question. But I think uh, I'm now what? How I think about it is. Honestly, I think I'm, I'm very lucky because I, I was able to bring a team from on deck who I wanted to build this mm. and it becomes very different in, in leading this team, let's say, than recruiting people to build something that I don't know them. Right. I haven't gone through the process. What I did go through is observing these folks in action mm. and when we were kind of forming the spin out, I was able to say, you know what? I don't want to do this without you, 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 and mm. you. And if one of those folks had uh, said no, let's take Haley, for example, I probably wouldn't have done this. We wouldn't be talking. Mm. Um, and so it's an interesting question. Uh, for me, yeah, I, I, I'm able to lead very differently because a lot of the, I think, traditional challenges that come with leadership have been removed mm. because of the context and the relationships that we all have with each other. Mm. At least that's for, like from 
of course, we're not living in some utopia as a as a team, right? right. right? There's still challenges, right, but a lot of those things have been removed because we all have been working with each other. We all have that context, and we all said yes to this very specific, mm. unique, crazy thing <laughs> that we decided to do. Everybody's on, right? And so there's yeah. right there's another episode that you know we should one day maybe talk about how that whole process came up came about but you know uh essentially these folks said yes mm. to doing this with very little context and like, let's go very have, like maybe a few, few moments let's go a little deeper into the team building right like uh you've built teams before how is this team different and how bullish uh you are in terms of going mm. with them like like for a war or so yeah so again i think having that context and everybody having worked with each other in in a certain way uh of course this thing you know friction that happens you know whatever but we deal with them i think much differently mm. uh because of the previous work that we've done together and the relationships that we built right. why i'm i think bullish on this team is because of how we structured the company. So I touched on, right, we're, we're intentionally not taking VC money, right. which is scary. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I've been dreaming about for about 20 years uh, in having worked in many different companies and in, in how I wanted to structure this is rewarding the team, not if there's ever some exit uh, but in the meantime, mm. uh, and so okay. we put built in a profit sharing scheme. We've given everybody meaningful equity, oh, uh, which, you know, what I try to do is, is essentially prevent myself from being the only one that benefits if there's ever some type of a event. Right. Uh, and two, that in the time that we're building, we're getting something from it. And guess what that? translates back into the community. We're of course not there yet, right? right. We're not making profit right. yet. But when that happens, like my absolute personal goal is sure, if one day somebody comes to us and wants to acquire us for a ton of money and it's a life-changing sum um, for everybody, let's do it. Right. Let's evaluate it. But in the meantime, mm. before that happens, my personal goal is to, I want to be able to hand out a house deposit or a new car to every single person on the team mm. every year. Mm. That's where I want to get to. Mm. That's so that's so awesome. That's great to hear. I think very few leaders think about employees in, in that depth. Um, so I'm I'm sure that people like Ash, Janelle, these are good friends of mine. They they're very lucky to be part of uh, you know such a tight knit team. Uh Indagas, this is this has been amazing, you know. Thanks for sharing all the stories. I hope yeah, so. I, I really loved your your journey. It's so inspiring, and and to the very least, it's like it's very authentic. You know, that's why I really care about uh, talking to people like you because the whole podcast is about bringing those authentic stories. Before we close out, what's the deal with cheesecakes? <laughs> Ooh. I love cheesecake. Uh, I and it's a very easy answer for Ash. Uh, my favorite one is the one I make. 
uh, I have a very easy recipe that you could go from ingredients to eating <laughs> delicious slice of cheesecake within about three hours. Well. Uh, and usually it is a uh, white chocolate mm. cheesecake. Nice, nice. I love that. Love that. Someday I think let's, I hope someday we meet and I can, I get to eat your homemade uh, white chocolate cheesecake. Uh, <laughs> any closing thoughts let's make before it we wrap up? Oof. Uh, I don't know. I mean, um, it's, I think that the only one is what I'm realizing. And, and again, we, we became coho when layoffs were happening already in full swing mm -hmm. and, you know, things were starting to become uncertain. And I really had to like think through a lot of different scenarios mm -hmm. in deciding to, to do this and how do we do this? What are the challenges that we may face? Mm -hmm. Like really go from like, okay, to A and B and mm, and D, like what, what is, what might be happening? What I'm kind of seeing though is, especially with this explosion of AI and, you know, whatever that becomes, but I think it's, it's one, it is as significant as internet, the internet and, and the first computers and all that. I'm excited to build a community. Yeah. yeah. Because guess what? Everybody's going to need when we're about to be flooded with just AI generated stuff right. is real human interaction. Right. And so that kind of puts us in a very interesting and unique position um, to, to, to really do something. Yeah, here. absolutely. So, yeah. Even my take is kind of like similar, which is you, you may, AI is going to solve the first maybe 10 steps, but you still have to go hundred steps, which is, it should be done by yourself, but right? it may give you a lead. Uh, but on, on the other side, community is definitely, you know, yeah, I can do that. Like, you know, it's, it requires human touch, personal connection. There's a sense of belonging and the bonding and the, you know, going through the highs and lows together as a, you know, as a group, uh, those are the things yeah. that really matter. So, uh, man, I loved talking to you. Let's keep in touch and hope, you know, Absolutely. folks who listen to this enjoy it as well and, you know, got some lessons and inspiration out of it. Uh, but yeah, that's it. And thanks again for joining us, Mindagas. Uh, that's it for this episode. See you guys. You know, Thank you one. for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely.